Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In today's world, people feel lost in a sea of ideas. Which ones should we accept? Stay tuned because you're listening to Veracity Hill, striving for truth on faith, politics, and society. Here is your host, Kurt Jarris. Well, a good day to you, and thanks for joining us here on another episode of Veracity Hill, where we are striving for truth on faith, politics, and society. It's a pleasure to be with you again uh, this week here in the Defenders Media offices in downtown West Chicago. And as uh, Chris has often said, we are the uh, the only podcast, the only internationally acclaimed podcast coming to you from downtown West Chicago, at least to the best of our knowledge here. <laughs> so uh, today's episode, we've got, um, we're continuing on uh, with the Worldview series, and we're going to be looking at a, um, a, um, a a sect, I mean, more so than a sect, I mean, it's, it's often labeled a cult, uh, the issue uh, and worldview of Mormonism. Uh, the past couple months, we've looked at, uh, let's see, the first one we did was on atheism, and last month we brought to you um, was the uh, topic of Islam. And so this time around, we're, we're touching on something slightly different, not as broad, more specific, um, but... Um, but it should be an interesting program. If you haven't really uh, learned much about Mormonism, uh, then this would be a, a good show for you to continue to listen to. And, uh, you know, maybe you've met a Mormon on the street uh, going door to door if they've gone on your, you know, rung your bell. And um, maybe you've, you've been presented with some things that they've said, but you might not know what they actually believe. And we're going to go, in today's show, we're going to go over those differences and how sometimes language isn't even clear in in pointing out the meaningful differences that there are between the orthodox christian view and the the mormon view uh but before we get to that uh just a few matters of of business um let me uh put on my hat here for the the live stream folks it is uh opening day uh week coming up here for the uh the world series champion the chicago cubs I think uh, they are some of the favorites to uh, to uh, go again to the World Series. I want some of the odds in Vegas, I think, had the Cubs versus the Red Sox. So we will see what happens. Uh, but very pleased that baseball season is in the air. Uh, we've been following, at least in my house, spring training. And so it's it's always fun to see uh, the Cubs. And my, my daughter especially, she likes Addison Russell. That's her favorite uh, Cubs player. So we just got her. She had a, a shirt gifted to her um, by her godparents and um but she's outgrown that. So we just got her an oversized Addison Russell shirt, and she loves it. So she wears it to bed every night, and oh uh, yeah, she wants to wear it every day. It's like the kids will be the kids. <laughs> um, so okay, yeah. So that's baseball season's in the air. Um, let me say too, we're uh, Defenders Media is running a giveaway. Uh, so if you want to win this book, Good Faith, Being a Christian When Society Thinks You're Irrelevant and Extreme by David Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons, uh, go to DefendersMedia.com and click on the giveaway button. And uh, so I think in the next couple of days, they're going to be uh, announcing the, the winner of that. It's also signed. So people here on the live stream, which we're doing today, can can see that uh, there. Uh, signed copy here of this book, and you can win it for free. Uh, we'll ship it out to you uh, this week. So go to defendersmedia.com slash giveaway, and uh, you can have a chance to, to to win that. I think all you have to do is you've got to like, like the Facebook page and follow us on Twitter, something like that. And you can do that for Defenders and Veracity, and you get a couple different, uh, different options for, for uh, different points. So that gives you a better chance at winning. So when you get a chance to do that uh, in the next couple of days, please do, because I think we're going to be announcing the winner uh, this week for that. Uh, well, if you want to have your voice heard on the show, you can give us a call at any time. The number is 505-2STRIVE. 
That's 505-278-7483. And so you can give us a call while we're doing the show, uh, Saturdays at 1 p.m. Central Time, or you can leave us a message during the week. And uh, if it's a comment that you want played or a question that you might have, we can air it for you. Or just tell us if you want it to be private, and we'll just we'll address your question um, there through uh, through an email correspondence, perhaps. But it'd be great to to hear from you. And I appreciate getting the uh, the comments and encouragement that some of you have given uh, over the uh, the episodes. We're now on episode thirty eight, so we're almost almost to fifty two, which would represent a year. And we've been doing it every week, uh, whether it's me or Chris has filled in a couple times. We've been doing it uh, faithfully now for almost a year, a couple months. So that'll be great to sort of hit that benchmark. And, uh, you know, I'd love to hear from you and see what topics you want for the the show, uh, because we do have a variety, as you know, we have a variety of topics and different guests. And so if you've got a suggestion, uh, let's make it happen. So a number of people suggested doing this Worldview series. So here we are. Uh, this is the first Saturday of the month when we do the Worldview series. And so... Um, so I'm, I'm very open to the ideas that you might have and the things you want to have heard and the things we can talk about together and think through. Uh, so there's another way you can get in touch with me as well. Uh, just text the word veracity, that's V-E-R-A-C-I-T-Y, to the number 555-888. It's totally free and you can, uh, you can unsubscribe anytime. But basically, you know, about one time a week, I'll send out a text message. I actually had in the past couple of weeks. So about one time on, on average, once a week, I'll send out a text message, uh, maybe notifying you of the upcoming show or see if there's any questions or comments you guys might have. And that's another way you can um, talk to me and communicate to me as well. Otherwise, you can send me the uh, traditional email. Just the address is kurt at veracityhill.com, and I'll get your emails uh, as well. So I love uh, love engaging with some of the listeners uh, that I've uh, encountered um, over the s- several months, and I know that some of you have appreciated the variety of the show, um, going from political topics to theology and apologetics and and whatnot. So uh, today is April Fool's Day, and for those that are uh, personal Facebook friends of mine, you will see my annual uh, joke. Uh, some of you know what what that might be about. Um, sort of one of my my niche topics that I like to talk about and think about. And you'll you'll see that joke. I do it every year. Uh, some of you I know it will not be surprising to you. Some of you, you know, maybe for new Facebook friends, you will be surprised by it. I see that here. I've, I've got a couple people that I've uh, uh, tricked, I fooled. Um, but I'm looking forward yet still to hearing from some of the the friends I hear from every year who say, "Oh no, not again, Kurt. Here, here we go." <laughs> So yes, yeah, so check that out if you're your personal Facebook friends with me. And if you're not, just find me on Facebook, search my name, and um, I think you'll you'll find me there. Um, all right, so I think that does it for the um, the in-house matters. Um, I, I believe so. I'm I'm running solo today. Um, although we do have a, a new call screener, Matthias. So thank you for for coming in today. Chris, uh, the main wingman, is off. He's got a conference he's attending um, today. So. Uh, so I'm running the live stream. We're going to probably turn that off here shortly. Um, but uh, for those of you following on the live stream, I hope that you'll uh, you'll tune over to the website, veracityhill.com, where you can hear the, the rest of the show. And again, give us a call if you want to participate in this discussion today on Mormonism. Again, the number is 505-2STRIVE. That's 505-278-7483. So without further ado... Let's uh, move into the the main segment of the show. We're going to be talking about the issue of Mormonism, and um, joining with me is the lead pastor of the Mission Church and the founder of GodLovesMormons.com, Rich Sanford. Rich, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, glad to be with you, man. So um, for our listeners, you know, maybe people have heard this term Mormonism. Could you just give us a brief introduction as to what is Mormonism? Who who are Mormons? Mm. Yeah, well, Mormonism is uh, the religion of the Latter-day Saints. Uh, Mormons usually refer, the, refer to themselves as LDS. That means Latter-day Saints. Uh, it's founded in 1830 by Joseph Smith in New York. So it's a mm. very fundamentally uh, American religion. And so, in fact, some historians have said it's really the only true, legitimate, um, American-born religion, world religion. Mm. Um, they're, they're the ones who are famous for sending out the pairs of young men as missionaries. Uh, you oftentimes see mm-hmm. them on bikes, yep, uh, yep. riding down streets and carrying the Book of Mormon, uh, wearing white shirts with a, a black tie. Sure. And they have yeah. a little black name badge. So that's, 
that's the Mormons. And uh, again, they, they usually refer to themselves as LDS, especially in places like Utah out here where I live. Uh, they, they usually refer to themselves in that way. And so it was it was started in, in New York State and then – but it seems that most Mormons today live in the state of Utah. Is that right? That's right. That's right. So, do, so yeah, tell us so a little bit about be, that history. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, the inaugural story – um, as is told today about Mormonism, goes back to what's called the first vision. And this is a, uh, an, a vision that a young boy whose name is Joseph Smith had when he was uh, 14 years old. He um, is, is reading the Bible feverishly, trying to determine which of all the denominations or sects of Christianity is the true one, which should he uh, take part in. Mm-hmm. And so he opens up the Bible to James chapter 1. Uh, where it says that if a man seeks wisdom, he should ask of God, who gives liberally to all. And uh, so that's exactly what he does. He he, he prays to God, and um, subsequently is uh, walking in the woods and has an encounter with two uh, bright, shining personages that mm. he will later identify as God the Father and God the Son. Mm-hmm. They tell him that all of these sects, all of the Christian denominations are an abomination. Their creeds are an abomination. And that basically he will be restoring the church to its rightful place. So that's mm-hmm. kind of the founding story. And um, over over subsequent years, as the legend goes, he will have more interactions with angels who will eventually bring him to a, a, a place uh, on, on the hill Camorra in Palmyra, New York, where he will dig up a, an ancient book of mm-hmm. golden plates um, that yeah. we now today know as the Book of Mormon. Gotcha. He will take this Book of Mormon, he will... Um, by God's direction, supernaturally translate it into English. And he uh, actually published that book in 1830. And that's really when uh, most people will say Mormonism began at the publishing of the Book of Mormon. Mm. Now, I'm taking a few notes here. Um, you said translated into English. So uh, this the golden plates weren't originally in English for um, Joseph Smith? Correct. Um, again, I, I don't want to keep using these words this way, but really it's kind of a legend. The story goes, nobody knows exactly what was written on those plates. Nobody actually saw them other than Joseph. Okay. Uh, while there were some people who said that they saw them, later they would admit that they only saw those plates through the eyes of faith, hmm. but not actually saw them. All right. Uh, but he'll claim that they were written in Reformed Egyptian, a language that today we uh, historians uh, have no record of that type of language ever existing. But he said it was written in Reformed Egyptian, and uh, God gave him the Urim and the Thummim, uh, special kind of seer stones that ultimately that he would peer into to be able to translate the Book of Mormon from mm. uh, Reformed Egyptian into English. So, uh, Interesting. Yeah. Um. And the way that it ultimately got from there to Utah is they kind of, the Mormons in early Mormon history as their uh, theology and doctrines were evolving, continued to get kicked out of different places in the U.S. at that time, in the mm. mid-1800s, um, and largely because of uh, what would ultimately become their views on uh, the inerrancy of Scripture, uh, the way they view the nature of God, uh, and of course, what they're most probably notably understood for back in the 1800s, which was polygamy. Right. They basically got run out of New York, they got run out of Ohio, they got run out of Missouri, mm-hmm. um, and they landed in uh, Nauvoo, Illinois. And after Joseph Smith uh, was killed in Nauvoo, Illinois, uh, or while living in Nauvoo, Illinois, mm-hmm. Brigham Young took the leadership and led the people to Utah, uh. which at that at that point was not America. It was actually Mexico. Mm, okay. And, um, so he led them to a new place that would become their new Zion, and that's why Utah still to this very day is kind of the epicenter of Mormonism. Huh. Yeah, well, and I know um, we have some Mormon missionaries in our neighborhood, and um, I've even befriended from time to time uh, them and have met with them. Um, but it's it really is fascinating. One of the things that I have, I guess, learned from the Mormon church is um, their, their laborers are devout. They're serious. And um, if if Christians— took a note out of their playbook on that. Um, <laughs> you know, if I, if I had to say one, one good thing that I observed, it would be that. You know, if we could train our yeah. young men to go and be like that, that would, that would really help uh, the, the Christian, the invisible Christian church, uh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I've had many Christians say the same thing, that um, regardless of what they believe, they have a true devotion mm-hmm. and a commitment to missionary efforts that, um, 
we might rightly be able to admire. Mm, yeah. Um, now, before I want to talk more in a little bit about sort of their missionary work and, and to see what sort of progress, if any, it's making. But before we get into that, you know, something I was told uh, once um, by a Mormon was that I believe the same thing you do. And um, this is something I, I've actually been told a couple times now I can uh, recollect in my life. Uh, and so I'm just wondering, you know, if Joseph Smith was reading the Bible and he thought, boy, all these denominations seemed wrong. I mean, how is it that Mormons can say, I believe the same things you do? I mean, do they? And perhaps if they don't, then in what ways do they depart from historical Christian belief? Yeah, well, that's a great question. And uh, the reason it's an issue is because over time, uh, the doctrines of Mormonism have dramatically evolved. And so um, originally in 1830, 1831, 32, I think that most of Mormonism would have looked very Protestant. Hmm. Um, it seems that that's the case. The Book of Mormon itself contains largely very, very Protestant themes. Mm -hmm. um, uh, a Christian could probably read through the Book of Mormon and think at the end, uh, this isn't terribly different than what I believe. There, there, there are some things in there, don't get me wrong, but in general, yeah. uh, it sounds like a Protestant document. But through the evolution of Mormon thought and, and uh, teaching uh, up until the modern day, uh, it, it kind of went from rejecting this Christian uh, uh, nomenclature so that they would not want to be referred to as a Christian or an evangelical born again up until the modern era. And honestly, our generation today is uh, very eager, not just willing, but eager to call themselves Christian, which is new for Mormonism for, for many uh, many generations, they did not want to be called Christian at all, mm. uniquely Latter-day Saints. But yes, today, if I were to ask uh, a random Mormon on the street, are you a Christian? Almost without exception, they would say yes. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, but um, so tell us then, in, in what ways maybe do they depart then from Christian belief? I mean, don't... Um, so like on sort of core Christian belief, do they accept the Trinity? Do they think that there's uh, one God uh, in three persons? No, that's actually one of the very first things they will reject. One of the first things, if you were to ask a Mormon, what's the biggest difference between your beliefs and those of traditional Christians? Mm -hmm. It's likely that they will say something about the Trinity within the first sentence. That's a, that's a pretty common objection for mm. Mormons. Um, so let, let me summarize it by saying it this way, Kurt. There is no category of beliefs in which Mormons and Christians believe the same thing. And when, mm. when I say believe the same thing, I mean to have a sufficient level of agreement for unity. I see. There isn't, there isn't a category of belief in which we could, we could confirm uh, each other. Uh, even different denominations in the world today, different modes of baptism, different ways we view salvation, mm -hmm. uh, different eschatologies, all of those different things. Christians can acknowledge, oh, that's my Christian brother, but we view this differently right. because we have a sufficient level of agreement on the fundamentals of the faith. Mormons and Christians, however, do not have uh, the ability to, sh to say that rightly, understanding what we believe about doctrine. Yeah, and, and, and one issue there in particular that maybe I think of, you mentioned baptism. Um, you know, Orthodox Christians believe, you know, whether it's infant or uh, adult baptism, it still functions in the same way. But Mormons, isn't there this idea of baptizing dead people? Yes, yeah. And actually, that that, that, uh, that admittedly is, I think, a little bit of a misconception from outsiders oftentimes, okay. uh, Christians as myself. Uh, Mormons do participate in baptisms for the dead, but that is exclusively for those who have already died in mm -hmm. order to offer them a second chance at the good things that God could offer after they died. Okay. So, so, so living Mormons would never do, would never um, have themselves baptized by another person. A living Mormon would do a baptism very similar to what a Christian baptism would look like. Mm -hmm. It might be in a river, it might be at a church building, it might be in a lake or in the ocean. Um, so it'd probably look very similar. If you saw it from a distance, you might not know if it was a Christian baptism or Mormon baptism. Mm. But, but I think what you're getting at is um, a major difference that they do believe that there are many works that are prerequisites for salvation. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm using Christian terms right now, Kurt, because they, they wouldn't use those terms in that same way. Sure. But uh, it is a, a prerequisite for salvation to be baptized. And right. Not just baptized, but baptized by somebody with priesthood authority in the Mormon church. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. And that's, then, that's just one example. And now, correct me if I'm also mistaken, 
Um, another, and again, this is Christian language, uh, another sacrament uh, <laughs> uh, is marriage, right? They think uh, in order to be saved, you have to marry someone. Is that right? That, that's true. They believe that it is a prerequisite for, uh, we can't use the word salvation because Mormons have a different definition for that, mm-hmm. but it is a prerequisite for exaltation, which uh, it can be a synonym for eternal life. And mm-hmm. so, yes, the greatest good that God can offer us is only available to those who get married and is not available to those who do not. Mm. And, and not just married, Kurt, but married in a Mormon temple. Yeah. So, right. yeah, there's, there's just it, it, pretty much at every category we, uh, we tend to diverge from, from major beliefs categories here. Yeah, wow. It, there seems like there's, there could be so much that we could go into <laughs> um, uh, for us to learn a bit more about uh, yeah. Mormonism. But so I'm curious, maybe let's get to the status of the Mormon church today. Um, so do you find <clears throat> that it's growing? And if so, in what ways? Or do you see that it's declining? I mean, you're, you're there in Utah and, um, you know, you're in the midst of it. What's your, what are your observations yeah. Well, actually, we have statistics as well as just my anecdotal observations. The statistics do tell us that um, it's kind of uh, whoever wants to interpret them gets to say what they want to say. Mm-hmm. The statistics would say that Mormonism is growing. The difference between uh, what a Mormon statistician might want to say and somebody outside might be willing to admit is that the growth is slowing dramatically. Mm, okay. So so the, the rate at which the Mormon church is growing is uh, diminishing quite dramatically. In fact, their greatest numbers are not coming from converts, but from new births. They have lots okay. of kids, lots of kids in Utah yeah. uh, and Mormon families in general. So uh, it was about a year ago during general conference, there's a major uh, LDS gathering that takes place twice a year where the, the prophet speaks to the, his people. Okay. The leaders of the LDS church released numbers on their growth. Uh, and they lauded them as a huge win. Look at this, look at this growth. But they didn't show how much the conversion growth had been down from previous years, mm-hmm. even even though they had recently infused an increase of nearly 20,000 more Mormon missionaries all around the globe. Mm. So even with additional efforts, lots of extra money, uh, more temples being built, mm-hmm. there are less and less people converting to Mormonism now than ever before. Mm. So... When we say that this growth rate is declining, uh, what do you think um, are some of the factors? Why is there a decline in the growth rate, I should say? Yeah. I honestly think that it's the advent of the information age. Okay. Uh, people have access to the information that has made it very difficult for Mormons to keep their uh, truly condemning history under wraps, mm. to put it simply. The, the skeletons I mean, you, in the closet. Exactly, exactly. And so one of the things that um, you know, we're, we're trying to uncover here is what are the big difference between Mormons and Christians? Well, well, Mormons believe that there are an infinite number of gods potentially and that men can become gods, literal gods, like our God is a god of this planet, and they can rule over their own planets. Hmm. Uh, we believe that Jesus is not a created being but the creator, mm-hmm. unique, and, ex- and ex- uh, ex- has an exclusive claim on the title the Son of God. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Mormons believe that you know, Jesus was created and uh, that he is the spirit brother of Lucifer, uh, the spirit brother of you and me, for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, almost every major account, they think differently. And a lot of these things can be directly attached to the statements made by past LDS leaders, okay. which are now becoming more and more available for people to see and scrutinize over time. So uh, what- I think the in- information is definitely driven the uh, the exodus from Mormonism. And is there um, – are there skeletons in the closet regarding the, the founder, Joseph Smith? I mean what are some things about him and, and, and what he did? Yeah. Have people found any of that sort of repulsive and, and use that to leave the Mormon church? Yeah, well, certainly. Actually, that's, that's an important thing to bring up. Um, one of the major changes that has taken place in Mormonism over the course of the past couple of decades since the – uh, the internet has really taken off and people have access to it everywhere they go. Um, Mormons who used to deny the underpinnings and the truths of Joseph Smith, what, they, what actually went down with uh, the, the life of the originator of their, their whole movement, mm-hmm. they're realizing now, oh my goodness, this stuff is real. So uh, let me give you a story example of this. I um, have some friends uh, in different parts of the country who are LDS, one of whom um, grew up in Chicago. And uh, he and I were talking about Joseph Smith on one occasion, and I told him one of the things that I have an issue 
with Joseph Smith, it was his polygamy and more to the point, his polyandry. Polyandry means that uh, it refers to a wife having more than one husband, mm. where polygamy is a husband having more than one wife. And so uh, to me, that's uh, that's completely uh, not allowed in the Bible. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's, a, it's against what the Word of God says from beginning to end. Uh, there's only one word in the Bible for a man who takes another man's wife, and that's adulterer. There's just no other way around it. Mm. Well, this Mormon friend immediately rejected that. He goes, that is not true. Joseph Smith only had one wife. He never had more than that. Huh. And so I began uh, interacting with more people in Utah and asking that question, and I was amazed at how many people told me they'd been Mormons their entire life, maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and had never heard that Joseph Smith had more than one wife. Wow. Well, in, a, in a, uh, an attempt to feign transparency, the LDS leaders, just uh, maybe a couple of years ago, almost two years ago now, admitted that Joseph Smith had as many as 40 wives, mm. and of those, 14 of them were already married to living husbands. Wow. There were family members uh, who are part of the same uh, a marriage situation together, so mother-daughter pairs, sister pairs, and wow. there were even uh, young girls as young as 14 years old being married off to Joseph uh, mm-hmm. for sexual unions. And these are things that Mormonism had been trying to hide for years, but finally just came out, mm-hmm. and they had to admit to being true. So that, that's, that's an example of just some of the condemning histories that make it really hard for people to remain Mormon after they hear about them. Now, wouldn't... Um... It, it, sort of uh, let me play devil's advocate here. So would Mormons, uh, especially Mormon apologists, perhaps say something like, well, uh, he did marry many women, but say the marriages were never consummated. It was just a spiritual marriage and there's no right. physical uh, sexual relationship that occurred. A short answer to that question is yes, that had been the line for many years. But the uh, the most um, uh, legitimate authors of the books of uh, they're going through Mormonism right now to talk about Joseph's polygamy they den- they totally denied that approach and they mm. say of course they were sexual unions that's the point right. in fact fetus wanted to take care of all these other women why didn't he just buy them groceries why the marriage mm-hmm. the purpose for marriage even biblically is in order to be consummated for there to be a sexual one man one woman union that's mm-hmm. that's the purpose to it and so at this point a significant number of the apologists will acknowledge no they must have been sexual unions um, and even the LDS Church itself on, on their website, uh, LDS.org, has admitted – I think that they said it in kind of a slippery way, but they said, we admit that it is possible that many of these marriages were sexual unions. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I mean, they didn't come out and say, yes, we know for sure they are, but they said <laughs> it was possible. Now, you and I could never say, well, it's possible Jesus sinned a lot of times. Yeah, it's right. It's possible that Jesus didn't die on the cross. It's not possible. Of course it's not possible. Yeah. And so in the, in the same way, if they would say it's possible, it means it's one of the potential realities that can exist. Yeah, and maybe it's just a little bit of special pleading there that they just don't want to admit that it happened, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's, I think that's true. Yeah. Um, all right, so we brought up the information age here, the Internet. And so this is where a lot of uh, people are learning about Mormonism. This is where a lot of Mormons are learning about their own religion, even though maybe they weren't. Uh, they weren't taught these things. They weren't taught the skeletons in the closet. Um, so, but but why is it that it's the internet? Why can't they ask these questions? I mean, did they just not know to ask the questions, or is uh, is there social stigma behind doubting your faith, in, like it is in some Christian communities? No, you're exactly right. There is certainly way beyond a social stigma. Um, there's there's a there's a level of fear that seems to follow. Um, active Mormons in mm. regards to interacting with things that are not, uh, quote, faith promoting, unquote, might be a way they would say it. Mm. So any type of literature or resources that could be seen as anti-Mormon, honestly, they just want, they, they tell their people, stay away from this stuff, do not touch it. They might even um, uh, recommend staying away from it, or abstaining from it in a, to a similar level of severity that Christians might uh, teach their kids to abstain from pornography. Mm. And, and I, I wish that this wasn't as true as it is, but the truth is I've, I've actually been on the street of Salt Lake City uh, witnessing to Mormons and just talking to people as I can uh, run into them. Mm-hmm. And I've had grown men and women who, when they've heard me say things that were um, uh, talking against something that Joseph Smith said, mm-hmm. put their hands over their ears, begin yelling, and literally run away. Wow. And, uh, th- and honestly, unfortunately, this is kind of common. Well, that, that wow. response was uh, not as common as I've seen before. The general approach to anybody saying something against the, the LDS church 
is uh, has been, hey, you're not allowed to do that. Wow. And that's why the internet age, of course, has brought in a whole new uh, yeah. influx of truth because now they can, in the comfort of their own basement, no one else is around, yeah. you can research Mormonism and find the real truths. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, that's something else. So, yeah, maybe part of the challenge in reaching Mormons is just getting them to be comfortable in 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 having a healthy dose of skepticism, a healthy yeah. dose. Um right. Because, you know, in and of itself, look, even the Apostle Paul had doubts. (laughs) When you read the book of Galatians, it talks about how after 15 years of preaching the gospel, he he, he wanted to make sure that what he was preaching was right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So even he had questions, a little bit of doubt that he went to um, the apostles, the other apostles to confirm. So... Yeah, and that is certainly not something in Mormonism. My Mm -hmm. wife had uh, told a, a, a good Mormon friend of ours not long ago... She was just talking about the importance of faith and our, our you know, kids growing up knowing what is true. And I think my wife said something like, I want my kids to challenge what we teach them. I want for them, if they need to, to run out and chase down what is, uh, what is actual, the actual facts and get yeah. to the bottom of it so that they can truly believe for themselves. And the Mormon uh, friend looked right at her and, and was, with the start uh, kind of went white. Uh, she said, I would never want that for my kids. Mm. Wow, see, wow. Christians, we're, we're truth seekers. Right. You know, we're, we're creatures of the light. We just want to see truth. We have no fear of what is true. And that's why, you know, we can even look in the Bible and see uh, the foolish things that Peter said and did, uh, the sinful activities of the leaders of, uh, of the Christian, Christian movement and all the way back into Judaism, the Old Testament days. And um, we don't hide things in that way. It's, it's one of those things that has been culturally... Uh, a part of our gospel since the very beginning is that we are sinners and we need a perfect Christ. Yeah. Well, if you've got a comment or question about Mormonism, you can give us a call. The number is 505-2STRIVE. That's 505-278-7483. Well, Rich, uh, this has been great. Uh, Let's continue after a short break from our sponsors. You're listening to Veracity Hill, striving for truth on faith, politics, and society. Evangelical Christians are talking about hell. What if we believe what we believe because we've always believed it? What if the gospel is really a matter of life and death? We want you to open your mind, open your Bible, and rethink hell. At RethinkingHell.com, evangelicals look at what the Bible says about hell, putting conventional and controversial views to the test. Join the Illinois Family Institute for a special forum, Climate Change and the Christian, with Dr. Calvin Beisner in Rockford, Arlington Heights, Orland Park, and Peoria. The Green Movement threatens to trap the poor in poverty and rob people of property rights by touting false or exaggerated claims of eco-disaster. Dr. Calvin Beisner is the founder of the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation. You don't want to miss his presentation on climate change and the Christian. What's true, what's not settled science, and what's our responsibility? Now, it's true that if you love God, you will try to take good care of the earth. And I encourage you to do exactly that. But that's not gospel. That's law. The Illinois Family Institute Climate Change and the Christian Forum is free. So bring your family and friends. Visit IllinoisFamily.org for times, dates, and locations. Or call 708-781-9328. Sanford of GodLovesMormons.com, and uh, today we're just talking about Mormonism, sort of an introductory uh, episode here to uh, to that worldview, that belief system. But before we get into um, that, uh, it is time for one of my favorite new segments of the show. Well, this week we've got two uh, political-themed uh, memes. Uh, the first one is this, and we'll put these up at the website for those uh, that um, 
that are interested to, to check these out for yourself. So the first one is a picture of um, Speaker of the House Paul Ryan, and it says, No one can screw up health care as uh, bad as Democrats. Hold my beer. Uh, so, yes, it seems that there's been a big uh, snafu with the GOP trying to pass uh, the AHCA, and um, there was a lot of concern. Interestingly enough, this this united Democrats and the House Freedom Caucus, <laughs> uh, who— both were against it uh, for different reasons, mind you. And um, so, yeah, I think I was a little concerned myself with um, with some of the issues there uh, that, that would have happened. Of course, a, a number of people in the Republican Party are angry at the House Freedom Caucus for sort of being more purists. Um, the, the point I have made, and I've made this online on Facebook, is this to, to people that uh, dispute this, even against Republicans that are blaming the House Freedom Caucus. What did the House Freedom Caucus do that was any different than what the GOP has been saying for seven years? They've been supporting the same sorts of legislation that the GOP even voted on successfully in the House back in 2015. And so it's only now that the GOP is offering something different, uh, which makes one think that the past um, bills have just been for show. And so I think that's maybe concerning to, um, to people that really support free market economics. Um, so yeah, that's, I guess all I'll say on that. So yeah, Paul Ryan maybe had a snafu and I think it's been an embarrassment, a a small embarrassment, mind you, people are going to forget this stuff in, you know, six months. Uh, that's just the way politics works. Small embarrassment for Paul Ryan and for even president Trump on this. Uh, so, all right, let's move to the second meme. Uh, here it's a picture of Donald Trump and, uh, Barack Obama. It says, and, and this comes from daily coast. The other one came from conservative review. Uh, this one says, uh, Donald Trump, lost the popular vote by almost 3 million votes in 2016. Barack Obama won the popular vote by almost 5 million votes in 2012. Which president has a mandate? Well, I mean, that's not which president maybe had a mandate. But at any rate, um, you know, uh, just a small grammatical point there. Uh, But so mandates, that's an interesting thing. A lot of people, politicians say, oh, well, we've been given a mandate by the American people, yada, yada, yada. I'm not a fan of this. Uh, This is just a rhetorical line uh, it's not even an argument. Um, it's a rhetorical ploy because there is no such thing ever as a mandate because we just elect the people and they do their work. And so usually that means they're still going to be fighting f- uh, for legislation and that no person should ever just back down uh, for the sake of, you know, the most recent election. So senators are elected on six-year terms and they've got to do their job for six years regardless of the the outcome. So... Um, that's that's the beauty of the system. So I'm not so much a fan of saying that such and such has a mandate. And I don't think we should be that way for either of the, the two major parties. Um, I think we should we should take each piece of legislation on its own. And we need to evaluate whether it fits with our views or not. Uh, we shouldn't just bow down to whoever uh, wins the presidency because the presidency is just one branch of government. You know, it's not a monarchy. So they don't just get their the president doesn't always get his way uh, and in the future hopefully her way you know uh so again we just need to take each piece of legislation as it's proposed and evaluate them based on their merits in the same way that we need to evaluate um you know philosophical and theological arguments on their own merits and not necessarily who they're coming from because people can be wrong and so we you know we shouldn't just let people have their way um so yes that's what i think about that um, I wouldn't believe in mandates. So Daily Coast, I think that's how you say it. Um, I would say that you're wrong on both ends. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> all right. Well, that does it for my favorite segment of the show. All right. Now, uh, before the break, uh, we got into uh, we got a, a brief introduction to what the Mormon worldview is, and we've contrasted that a bit today with uh, with Christianity. And uh, the reason why I think this is important, because in my experience, um, I have met a number of Mormons throughout my life who have said that, um, well, I believe the same thing you do or I'm just I'm just like you uh, in, in our beliefs. Uh, and I've had that. I've heard that on multiple occasions from Mormons. Uh, but is that is that really something that uh, holds holds weight? 
and, and maybe listener, you've also heard the same thing from interactions with Mormons that you may know. But it seems that the the tough reality is no, we don't believe the same thing. There are some differences, and there are some crucial differences. There are important differences that, as Rich said, categorically are insufficient for us to to think that we're we're brothers. Um, and uh, and then we also talked about how the growth of the Mormon Church is declining, and that's largely it seems due to the the advent of the internet and how information is more readily available. So uh, with the rest of the time that we have today, um, Rich, I've got some questions for you then a bit more about the ministry that you're doing with God Loves Mormons. So when people leave the Mormon church, what happens to them? Where do you see them go? Well, that's the real shame. Uh, The best numbers that we can come up with, and most of this is anecdotal, but kind of uh, viewing uh, just kind of what we see going on with the relationships we have built of ministry partners in Utah, the best guess we have is between 50 to 60% run straight off to the nuns category, Mm. the uh, um, agnostic, maybe atheist category of Mm -hmm. of people. And so the rest of them, we are desperately trying our best to uh, uh, bring real truth, explain um, there's a bridge that we can build uh, for those who have a good ethical desire to mm-hmm. believe in God, honor Jesus without Joseph Smith, mm-hmm. without the Book of Mormon. So that's yeah. what you can see him. And so um, what are some of the ways that you're trying to, to reach those folks? So you've got a, a, a church, right? The Mission Church. Is, that's right. Is that a big yeah. emphasis in reaching out to ex-Mormons? Uh, Yeah, obviously that's at a certain stage in a person's uh, kind of faith journey. It's not usually the very first stop that an ex-Mormon will make, Mm -hmm. uh, or for that matter, obviously a devout Mormon will make, is, hey, let's check out a Christian church in the area. Uh, Because Mormonism would contend historically that a preacher at a Christian church is a worker of Satan, not to be trusted. Mm -hmm. Lots of of, uh, kind of evil things in that that regard. Mm -hmm. And so we've uh, tried to do in many different ways provide – uh, on ramps for people to truth. And uh, that's godlovesmormons.com is probably our most direct focus on the Mormon community, not only here, but around the world, giving people an access to Christian answers to Mormon objections and helping Christians engage with their Mormon neighbors better. So that's mm. that's God Loves Mormons. We're spending most of our time doing that. So it's, it's sort of dual purposed insofar as it seeks to reach Mormons and including ex-Mormons, but then also just to educate Christians uh, to teach them about Mormonism. Is that right? Exactly. Exactly. When we started doing this, actually, we realized that we could either um, try to make it directed towards Mormons or ex-Mormons, or we should make it towards Christians and try to teach Christians how to interact with Mormons Mm -hmm. and quickly realize that rather than splitting up our time to do two separate projects or one devoted to the Christians, we really needed to point it towards Mormons. We needed to do it in a language that Mormons could understand. I see, because yeah. Christians are more than willing. It's a, I, I'm so I'm so pleased to be part of um, this, this amazing group of people around the world, uh, united by Christ, who are more than willing to learn new, uh, literally learn new languages and learn new cultural isms and mm-hmm. um, learn helpful ways to evangelize and use apologetics and, and uh, uh, Christians are willing to, to make that leap. Mm. So if we pointed it towards Mormons, Christians could kind of listen in yeah. to my conversation with a Mormon and, uh, and learn from that. And that's actually exactly what we've been finding to be the case. So, and, and as we help. so when you say when people are, you've been pleased that people are willing to learn a new language, you, you don't mean, you know, English to French. Uh, what you mean is, and correct me if I'm mistaken, I think I understand you're saying is that they learn a new sort of vocabulary. They just learn. Yes. It's a new language in the sense that it's words. Um, we could say the same thing, but really we mean something very different by them. Is that right? Absolutely. So words like Jesus, mm-hmm. Satan, God, world, sin, salvation, heaven, hell, all of those words have entirely different meanings between Mormonism and Christianity. Could you— and most, and, most Christians assume that it's the same meanings, and that's mm-hmm. what usually makes most of the uh, misunderstandings in conversations. So, yeah, you, you listed a few there. Draw that out a little bit. So tell us you know, what a Christian would mean by one of those terms, and then what does a Mormon mean? Yeah. When we say God, we mean the limitless, exclusive creator, the one and only God, the only one who has ever existed and ever will, the creator of all things, limitless and unchangeable and perfect. That's mm-hmm. what we mean when we say God. And um, out here, 
when you say God, that means one potentially sinful person who became a God in a pre-mortal existence Mm. or or a a pre-exalted existence, I should say, and is now uh, a limited being who uh, is one of an infinite number of limited beings and that we can also become one of those exalted God beings as well. It's so different when we talk about um, even the difference between monotheism and polytheism. Mormonism is the most polytheistic religion that exists. Uh, and, uh, so sorry, yeah. So say that again. So how how is it one of the most polytheistic religions? Because they don't only believe in a potentially infinite number of gods, but an ever increasing number of gods. Mm. So it's not as though there's a set number of X number of billions of gods. Mm-hmm. There's literally an ever increasing, forever and ever and ever and ever more gods will be added to the universal count. Wow, that's uh, <laughs> that's usually not the idea that you get when when people are talking yes. about Mormonism. So, or, you know. so, so here's here's the way this works out. As a Christian, uh, Kurt, you have some Mormon missionaries come to your house, and you say, "I, as a Christian, believe there is only one God who created everything that exists, mm-hmm. and He is without limit, perfect, and unchangeable." Do you know what those Mormon missionaries will say? They'll say, we agree. We agree. Hmm. The reason they'll say that is because they define those phrases differently. So they'll insert words in their mind they won't say out loud. So they'll say, we believe there's only one God, and then they'll insert in parentheses in their mind, for us. So on this earth, we're not allowed to worship any other gods, but there are infinite number of gods out there. Hmm. When we say something like, he's the only one who's ever existed, they go, that's true from our worldly uh, uh, perspective. Mm Mm-hmm for me to be willing to worship or look up to. Um, and we say that he's without limit. They think that too. They think it differently. Hmm. Uh, the God of Mormonism is bound by universal constraints. There's many things he cannot do um, that he might will to do. So mm-hmm. very different gods. Fascinating. Wow. <laughs> okay, so tell me, so what are some of the ways, I mean, so you've got the website, you're doing church work. What, what are some of the ways uh, that you are reaching people there in Utah? Yeah. Several other ways we have. Uh, we do regular street evangelism. Um, nice. we, do, we do friendship evangelism with neighbors and people we've gotten to know. We, we meet with Mormon missionaries regularly, both mm. at ward houses, uh, which are Mormon church buildings, and also in our own home. We invite mm-hmm. them over. Um, we do Bible studies with ex-Mormons right now to help them reach their family members mm-hmm. um, who are still in the LDS church. And uh, I, you know, honestly, if you sit down and run the numbers – Utah has the lowest percentage of Christians in the United States by far. We have three times less Christians percentage-wise in Utah than any other region of the country. Um, You don't usually find that statistically because uh, Mormonism is usually lumped in with Christianity in uh, Uh, national statistics. You don't usually find Mm -hmm. that. You have to kind of look a little deeper and remove uh, Mormonism from those stats to see that. Interesting. Um, And so if I were to – have all of the Christians in our congregation, in our county, who are willing to engage in evangelism, try to connect with other people as friends and get to know them and over barbecues and years worth of time investing into relational evangelism, which is important. I fully, highly value that. Mm -hmm. You would have to do that with nearly a hundred people over the course of our time in Utah in order for a single generation of Mormons to hear the gospel. Mm -hmm. We by necessity have no other option Mm -hmm. but to uh, try to get the word out there in stranger evangelism, radio shows. We, we're, we do a radio podcast every single week, okay. put out this gospel message going out there, um, and online presence so that we can get right. more and more people this yeah. information. Yeah, and you've got a, a great website. It looks very well done. And let me tell you, you make some awesome videos. I, you know, that's probably got to take a lot of time to do, but they're very well done. And so that's, you know, I'm, um, I'm very glad to see that because we need – well done content, uh, and so well, it's, it's it's worthy of good, putting in good effort, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. That's, Reaching that's true. people for Christ is definitely worth our our, our greatest efforts. So. Yeah, awesome. Well, hey, Rich, thank you for all the work that you're doing, and and let's stay in touch and have you on the show again. Thank you very much, Kurt. It's been been fun. All right, thanks. Have a good one. You too. Okay, so um, we've got uh, we've got a caller here. Uh, we've got David here um, on the line, and. Um, David, as I as I understand it, oh, well, thanks for for calling in, and um, you are an ex Mormon, is that right? That is correct. 
Okay. So, hey, well, you know, thanks for, for calling into this particular uh, episode. And, uh, you know, I'd love to hear your story a little bit. Um, can you briefly tell us sort of about your your background? Um, were, were you raised in the Mormon church? Yeah, I was, uh, most Mormons would know this terminology. I, I was born into the covenant, and that means that uh, your family was already had gone through the temple and had been married with the, the word that they use is they were sealed for all time and eternity there. And so when I was born, I was born into a Mormon family and raised into a Mormon family all, all of my life. Mm. And, um, I, and just curious, are the, are, is your family still largely Mormon or, um, uh, what, what's the, both my parents are still currently Mormon. Okay. Yeah. Both my parents are currently Mormon and my sister as well as my, my brother-in-law. Okay, but, but he is a, he's a return missionary. Gotcha. Okay, and um, but so so when was it for you um, that you you left the Mormon Church? Were you a teenager? Did you do your Mormon mission? Um, what's your story? Sure. So I, you know, going through the ranks as a normal adolescent in the Mormon Church, you receive at the age of twelve the Aaronic priesthood and the office of what's called a deacon. And then you go from there, you go from a teacher, and then to here I'm actually called a priest at 16 under what is called the Aaronic Priesthood. They're just moving up in the ranks of the hierarchy as the Mormon Church is a very hierarchical, uh, a structured organization. Uh, from there, you receive the Melchizedek Priesthood when you're 18, and and I received all of that uh, mm. in the office of an elder mm, okay. in this case. So then... At nineteen, at nineteen, most youth go to uh, most male youth go on a mission. Right. And so I was called to the Landrina Brazil mission, and so I served the Mormon Church for two years faithfully. There hmm. was, uh, you could say, honorably discharged. Yeah. And uh, at that point, when I returned, is uh, was still in good standing with the church. So my doubts started crept in when I was sixteen. I encountered anti-Mormon literature, had some doubts. Yeah, but sort of resolve those doubts with sort of the uh, Mormon apologist answers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so there, I went on the mission when I was nineteen, from nineteen to twenty-one. But then, upon returning, because on the mission you're only allowed to read a certain books, mm-hmm. uh, so I was only confined to those books. Upon returning, then I was researching heavily into the questions I had to during the two years and some of the interactions that I had. Sure. And everything came to a head where I lost my testimony. The biggest uh, stumbling block was the Book of Abraham, mm. which is a purported scripture translated by the power and gift of God to Joseph Smith, purporting to be the writings of Abraham, when indeed we know today that it, it, it has nothing to do with Abraham at all. Mm. Mm. Okay, so you um, you ended up sort of losing your your uh, your trust in the Mormon Church and, and your Mormon beliefs. Uh, what happened then for you? Where did you go? Yeah, so I mean, once the first block went down, and uh, I have had, had access to Dr. Robert Rittner, who's written the definitive debunking of the Book of Abraham here at the University of Chicago. Hmm. Sort of all, all the ducks started falling, you know, the the problems with the historicity of the Book of Mormon. The more more common issues that you hear on the internet. Uh, sure. From there, once losing my testimony, as they say, using your faith and what the church purports, I entered a phase of of grave wickedness in terms of uh, sexual immorality uh. and, uh, you know, partying. Your normal college, what, what a normal millennial would probably <laughs> lost millennial will do during yeah. their college, formative college years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but that's, that's the lifestyle that I was, uh, that I was living at the time. Right. So then, uh, so then what happened? Uh, did you, uh, I, I take it you've come out of your, your, your secular atheism and, um, what happened then? Sure. So once a person leaves, loses their testimony in the Mormon church, most of them unfortunately become atheists. Right. And uh, by the grace of God, he actually drew me onto himself and uh, really never let me go in terms of continuing to study the scriptures and the Bible and religious matters. Hmm. Though, you know, I studied the, uh, the occult, uh, dabbled in conspiracy theory, but once once the Lord really got a hold of me, He sort of dispelled all these wild and crazy fringed beliefs mm. uh, that I had as a Mormon, 
And then, of course, those that I had picked up and being tossed around by every wind of doctrine. Mm. But once he got a hold of me, he really decisively saved me. And I, am, I, I can probably say that I am one of his. He adopted me as his child. He gave me the new birth. Yeah. And I, I, am, I can claim him as my Lord and Savior today. Yeah, great, great, awesome. So, so yeah, so you've, you've come to the, the true faith, the Orthodox faith, um, and so you're, you're one that was able to recognize how the, the Mormon worldview has, or at least says it has some similarities to the Orthodox Christian position, and you were able to weed out where those other false beliefs were. So that's, that's really a, a great testimony that you have. Let me ask you this. Um, what would you say as an ex-Mormon, um, you know, if you were to talk to a Mormon today, what would maybe be just a couple things that you would say to help them understand uh, the differences, you know, not necessarily um, like a, a, a high up uh, Mormon, but just your average Mormon on the street? Um, what would you say to them uh, sure. to convince them of these differences? Yeah, so organizations like God Loves Mormons and, of course, are, and uh, the other resources that are out there on the Internet, yeah. CARM, uh, just to name another that is uh, highly influential in this arena, mm-hmm. uh, are always resources that you will always lead them to. But in terms of conversa- conversations on the street or in, in personal conversations, the first thing I would highly recommend to people is to look up a presentation uh, consider, and I have a YouTube video out there on this, it's called The the Impossible Gospel. Okay. Just type it in, Impossible Gospel Mormons, and it'll lead you to a the topic of soteriology, how one gets saved. Mm. And for the Book of Mormon, all you have to do is remember the third to last scripture in the Book of Mormon says that if, that if you do not deny, if, if you deny yourselves of all ungodliness and love God with all your might, mind, and strength, then is his grace sufficient for you. So the, obviously, you just lead them down the road where you're talking about, have you ever denied yourself of all ungodliness? And their answer will obviously be no. Mm. Uh, and then the scripture obviously says that, that then the, the, the grace of Jesus Christ is not sufficient for you. It leaves them in a quandary, and, and the impossible gospel presentation is trying to essentially get them to see that they have never met a person who has followed the commandments, uh, all of the time, yeah, perfectly. And perfectly, and nor could they ever repent of it perfectly. Huh. Uh, essentially, they're in a quandary where they're trying to live the perfect life, right? A works-based, hyper works-based uh, system. Yeah, and it's impossible. It is. It, it, it's historically neglect the grace of God. It's historically Pelagianism. I mean, they they think they can earn their salvation through their works. Um, so that's that's Cor- yeah, correct. And then in terms of, of Jesus Christ, it's, uh, I would also recommend them people to show the, the differences in the different Jesuses or the different Christ. Mm-hmm. In other words, uh, one, is etern- one is eternally God, has been eternally God from the foundation of the, the world, whereas the other one is a created being and uh, sort of an Arianistic type of viewpoint and is the brother of Lucifer. And uh, also sort of showing people that, that uh, the Mormons actually deny the virgin birth of Christ. That's found in huh, yeah. Jesus the Christ by James E. Talmadge and stuff. So it's sort of these these sort of uh, points. Both yeah. the soteriology and the Christology would need to be discussed with Mormons. And so the method you take is sort of by positing these, these as you said, these quandaries, because, you know, the Bible says some things here, but then the Book of Mormon says some things here, and you have a quandary where they are conflicting ideologies. Um, so... Good, good. Well, David, thank you so much. For, thanks for, so much for listening to the the show today and for calling in and, and sharing your testimony. It's it's great to hear that, and I, I hope that it's an encouragement to uh, to listeners here that uh, that you know Mormon apologetics is a, is a worthwhile endeavor and it's a it's an effort worth supporting. So, David, thanks so much. Thank you. All right. Well, uh, that does it for the show today. I am uh, grateful for the continued support of our patrons and uh, partnerships with our sponsors, Defenders Media, Consult Kevin, The Sky Floor, Rethinking Hell, The Illinois Family Institute, uh, Evolution 2.0. Thanks to the tech team, Matthias Austin, thanks today, and to our our, our guest, Rich Sanford. And uh, I want to uh, thank you for listening in 
and for striving for truth on faith, politics, and society. You've been listening to Veracity Hill, striving for truth on faith, politics, and society. This is a listener-supported program. For more resources, including past shows, visit veracityhill.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.